Pray for Matthew. Lord Jesus, thank you for Matthew. Thank you for opening your word to him. And may our hearts and minds and ears be willing, able and ready to listen to them. Work through Matthew now, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. No, thank you, John. That was nice. <laughs> Can I add my welcome to Becky's? And especially one welcome if you're joining us for the first time. It's great to um, see you here this morning. And we warmly welcome you to stay uh, for refreshments afterwards. Um, we're concluding our series this morning on whole life um, discipleship. Um, we've been exploring this series since the start of January. And I wanted to share with you again that the motivation and heart behind this series actually comes out of listening to, to you, the church, saying to us, we want what happens on a Sunday morning to connect with our lives during the week. Because if it doesn't, then there's something going wrong in, in how we worship and, and how we teach. Because God's word um, and our Christian faith should be relevant to our lives. Um, on every front line, we find ourselves in throughout the course of the week, those places where we do life, those places where we exist for Jesus Christ. And we've had some really interesting interviews um, over the course of this series with people who have been involved in the world of management and leadership, um, with people who are in school and college, uh, with people who serve in the military. Um, We've had some really interesting interviews. And in all of those interviews, we've engaged with how people find it possible to live out their Christian faith with integrity um, in their particular context. And so I hope you found it possible to identify your own front lines. And and if you haven't, there's still the chance, as Becky said, to come and fill in those cards and celebrate with us all these different front lines that we have on the table um, at the front um, and that you've been filling in. If you have your Bibles open, let's turn back to the scriptures. Uh, If you haven't closed them, don't close them. Please turn with me to our passage this morning from 2 Samuel 12, where we meet David, um, who is the king of Israel and the prophet Nathan. Classic men's network question. If you were to name a male hero from the Bible, David is going to be one of the responses that people come out with. David is a prolific character in the Old Testament. But before we get into that, let me ask you a question. When do we usually readily speak out? When do we usually readily speak out? Perhaps when we're angry. Perhaps when we're harboring feelings of resentment. Often we speak out when there's the potential for great personal cost, when we might lose something if we don't. But what's certainly true is the flip side is it's, it's all the harder to speak out often when truth or justice are at stake. We're often less inclined to speak out against things that don't directly connect with our lives or in our perception don't directly connect with our lives. And it might be because we're, we're fearful of the personal ramifications of speaking out. It might be that we think we're ill-equipped with enough knowledge or wisdom to speak into situations. It might be that actually we just have an apathy about them. 
and we don't want to engage with a particular issue. It might even be that because of something going on in our own lives, we don't feel we can speak into them with integrity. Well, in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan's role is to challenge David as to the truthfulness and justice of his reign and his actions as both a king and a person. But Nathan is neither angry nor resentful, and he has no self-interest in this situation. So this is hard for Nathan, and it becomes even harder when you recognise something of of the person to whom Nathan is speaking. So let's find out something just to refresh our knowledge about King David. Following Saul, David was, second, uh, David was Israel's second king. And he learns to be a strong warrior and leader. In fact, if your children go to the vine, they will have had an assembly from me in the last few weeks about David and Goliath. He was a strong warrior. And he rose to prominence in, in Judah's army. And character is such an important part of David's life. David forms a great friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. This is a, a source of jealousy um, to Saul because Saul wants the bond with Jonathan that he perceives David as having. And so Saul makes many attempts on David's life. And, and he tries to, you know, induce this sort of warfare between them. But David's character is important because David doesn't respond with like for like. He doesn't engage in a tit-for-tat exchange. And in fact, we're told that when Saul and Jonathan die, David's grief was instant. This is a man with quite some integrity. Now, when David comes to the throne of Israel, Israel was in chaos. Yet David is both wise and strong and conquers Jerusalem, making it his capital. David also recognises that he wants Jerusalem not only to be a political capital, but also to be a spiritual one too. And so he brings the Ark of the Covenant, that very sign and symbol of God's presence with his people, to Jerusalem. And in fact, more, were it not for Nathan's intervention, David would have started to rebuild the temple that ultimately was built under Solomon's reign. So can you see a picture of this, of this bold, courageous, strategic, wise leader forming in David? However, there are problems too. There's a point here about power and ambition. It can corrupt. David's story becomes one of a tyrant and he ends up committing adultery with Bathsheba. And now God, who has favoured David in both his life um, and his call to be king, needs to intervene in David's life. And so we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 12. But just pause for a second. Mighty warrior, king, architect of the nation of Israel, tyrant. Would you want to be Nathan right now? Would you want to be that man who God has called to go and say to David, you know, and to go and intervene into his life? 
This is what Nathan does. He goes to David and he says, that rich man with a large number of cattle and sheep, that man who took away the poor man's only lamb, that man is you. Do you want to go up to David and say that? David, who's become known as a tyrant? So go on then. What's your conflict style? Do you, do you actively engage with conflict well or do you back away from it? There's a whole other reflection in this story about how we, how we handle conflict and how we, how we engage with it well. And switching from Nathan um, to David, how, how do you think David feels in this situation? Because David does know justice. He does know what it is to fear the Lord. The passage tells us in verses 5 to 6, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Watch out, David. Here comes Nathan. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Isn't that arresting? Isn't Nathan's intervention in David's life quite stark? And you might be sitting here this morning and thinking right now, I've prayed and prayed for God's presence in my life. I want to know God at work in my life and the situations I face. And I even want to be used by God um, to see his power working through me. But those details, every detail, every fault, every weakness of my life, Do I want God to see those two? How would David have felt in that situation, in that encounter? The psalmist wrote, before even a word is on my lips, you, Lord, know it completely. Both challenge and comfort in the same scripture. But what speaks volumes of David and sets an example for us is that confronted by Nathan about his wrongdoing, David recognises what he has done and repents before God. And I want you to recognise again that God's way of intervening in the aspects of David's reign, which were unjust and false, was to send Nathan. In the New Testament, we see a similar passage. We're offered a way of dealing with brokenness within a church community in Matthew chapter 18. Um, 
I don't have a page reference for you, but it's Matthew 18 and verse 15 for a couple of verses. But I'll read it out. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And I think there's something in the role of Nathan and fellow Christians in speaking into situations where truth and justice are at stake that gives us a model we can use on our front lines. And recognise, please, that within Nathan's encounter with David and within Jesus' teaching in Matthew, that the Holy Spirit is at work, revealing love and challenge, but with the idea that God's image in, in that person's life might be restored. I want to suggest to you that our passage this morning has something to tell us about Jesus. David was doing well. We established his heroic efforts. We, knew, we know about the strong leader that he is. But David's life went down a particular road. And David didn't need more power or ambition. What David needed was a saviour. David needed someone who in love and desiring the best for his life, would come and stand with him, alongside him, and help him to turn his life around. David needed a saviour, and God sent Nathan. Jesus came, and he died on the cross, so that we might be reconciled to God. God saw the injustice and brokenness of the world which he had lovingly created and formed. A world in which there is abundant provision and justice for all. And in his love, he sent Jesus to be our saviour. And we get to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice on our front lines, not because we're perfect, And not because being followers of Jesus gives us any elite status, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then it's likely that here in this room this morning, we have abundant testimonies of God's grace and mercy in our lives. And if we ourselves know God's grace and mercy through our own life story, then surely we have a desire to see God at work in the lives of others, bringing about a greater revelation of his image, seeing God restoring lives that are broken, seeing God speaking to situations of injustice in our world and restoring the image of his first creation. And if you don't have that prayerful concern for others, then can I challenge you in love that you might want to pray that the Holy Spirit would fan into flames that concern within your life so that you do have 
uh, concern uh, for the truth and justice of God's world. The prophet Micah was used by God to convict Samaria and Jerusalem of their sins. God judges Samaria and Jerusalem regarding their falsehood and injustice, but loves them too much to leave them in the situation they find themselves in. And so into that front line, God sends Micah to lead them into a new place. And in Micah chapter 6, we read, He has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It is God's purpose on every front line, in every time and place, that his love may be made known and his kingdom revealed. And he calls us to be a part of it on all the front lines we've developed. Front lines which are obvious like workplaces and schools, but front lines which have surprised us like, you know, the number of people who are on the the allotments in Camborne from, from this fellowship. But still important front lines where we encounter people, have conversations In fact, sometimes it's easier on the allotments to actually get into real conversation with people, find out about their life and where God might be ministering um, through them and through you. And remember in all of this that practicing loving kindness and being humble in character is important. Justice is about love. It's about showing people that they have infinite worth and value in Jesus Christ. That they are people who are made in the very image of God. And seeking to stand with someone who has perhaps made some bad choices is an act of love and a privilege that God allows us to minister his grace through. So what does this mean for you and I? What does it mean to have a role to play on our front lines and allow God to use us? Well, just like Nathan and Micah, we are called to to seek out situations of injustice and to be the presence of Christ within them. That might be um, some of the things that um, Becky started off um, talking about this morning. It might be that we use our, our social media front lines to say, how can, we, how can we pray for people? How can we pray for this situation? It might be that we recognize the injustice of, of environmental um, bad practices And so as Christians, we resolve to care for God's creation better. And so we we act in that front line in in a just way, in a way that God would would see us behaving. It could be that that you serve already or or you might wish to serve on on our food bank team and giving out emergency food aid um, to people who who are hungry and and don't have um, enough food in their homes. It could be that um, you see situations um, happening in shops. So in the last week, we've seen um, boots in the news stories um, because there was some gender discriminatory pricing going on with a couple of their products, which has now been rectified. 
all of these situations, things where we as Christians can speak God's love and justice into, into those front lines. And as I've been talking, you all have been thinking about applications in your own life, about situations that you're aware of with colleagues and companies and organisations where things might not be as, as they should be. And so we're going to conclude this series by, by praying um, now um, that God would equip us to be a mouthpiece for him on all these front lines in a way that allows us to be used by the Holy Spirit to restore God's image in all the places where we find ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, you sent your son to bring healing to the sick, freedom to the oppressed, to comfort the widows, to bring homes and land to aliens. And Father, we know in our own front lines that there are situations which don't reflect your image, which don't reflect the love and grace and mercy of God. And so we pray that you would equip us by your spirit to be for you on our front lines, to speak into situations of injustice in a way which allows your spirit to minister. And so we offer you those situations which even now we're aware of. We offer you people's lives who are in difficult places. We offer you situations in our nation, in our local area that are challenging. And we pray that you would give us servant hearts that as a church and as individual Christians, we might minister into all of these situations. In Jesus' name, amen.